Good morning, Radiate. What's going on? Listen, I am so glad that you are with us today here at Radiate Church. I'm so honored to have you as we continue our Crazy Good series. And I actually have a crazy good surprise for you today. In, in my life, I'm incredibly blessed to have some amazing friends, many of which you've met uh, as they've come and spoken here at Radiate and invested their life in what God's speaking to them. And today, I got a crazy good surprise for you. I got Pastor Cornelius Lindsay here with us today. He is an amazing friend of mine. I met him about two years ago on a trip we took together. And man, we've just been connected since. He's a really special dude. Uh, Pastor Cornelius lives in California with his amazing family. Uh, he used to pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. He's got something that he's been through in his life that he wants to share about crazy good freedom uh, for you and what that looks like in your relationship with God. I cannot wait to hear the word he's about to deposit into this house today. So I'd love to ask you to get your notebooks out and get your pens together, get your Bibles out. But first, let's stand to our feet right now, put our hands together and honor Cornelius Lindsay to the stage. Cornelius, I'm so glad you're here, buddy. Come on, love you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, let's give it up for the Lord. Woo! I really appreciate that. Y'all can, can be seated. What Pastor Brandon didn't tell you is that he and I were twins. Um, so we've known each other for a very long time. No, we're not twins. We're first cousins. Um, we did. We met at a, we met at a trip. Uh, we were in... Um, Montana, we, we, we were in Montana for a couple times, and then recently we were in uh, Wyoming at the beginning of this year, and Pastor Travis was with us as well. It's a funny story. I, we were climbing up a mountain, and uh, Pastor, Tra uh, Pastor uh, Brandon, he was making fun of me because I had taken a fanny pack uh, up with me, and so he was making fun of me because the whole time he wanted to know what was so important that I needed to take in a fanny pack. And so I had like peppermint and, you know, stuff inside of it. And I had my EpiPen. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you're allergic to something. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm allergic. He said, what are you allergic to? I said, shellfish. And he's like, there's not a crab on top of the mountain. <laughs> I didn't think about that. The whole time I was like, I just need to keep it close to me just in case. But, you know, nobody knows. You know, it could have been like a crazy lobster at the top of it trying to attack me. Uh, but like he said, my wife and I and our, our kids, we live in it. We live in California. I was about to say Atlanta because that's where we moved from. I want to actually show you my wife and my, my three kids. That's my family. It's my beautiful wife, Heather. I have, uh, this is an older picture, but I have uh, an eight-year-old son who looks just like me. And he has his mother's personality, which is interesting. Uh, I have, we have a, uh, a six-year-old daughter, Taylor, who looks exactly like my wife, but she has my personality, which is amazing. And then we have a three-year-old son. His name is Roman, and uh, he has my head, but he has my wife's face. Uh, my oldest, we call him leader, and that's exactly who he is. That's what he is. My, uh, my daughter, Taylor, we call her powerhouse, and that's exactly who she is. And then my youngest one, we, we call him warrior. And... You get what you ask for. He's fighting everything right now, and hopefully we're going to turn that so he can fight, he can fight for the Lord. Uh, so it's a very interesting thing. But my wife wishes she can be here, but she sends her love, uh, which is me. So y'all got to deal with me for a little bit, but it's going to be fine. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and I'm going to jump right into this message. Father, I, I want you to just help me, like, you know, with everything. Just, just let me just fully decrease and... Allow for the word to just uh, be edifying, allow for it to be potent. 
God, use my tongue as a pen. Just let it etch upon each and every heart of those on the side of my voice. Um, I love you, God. And I, just, I come to you in full humility right now, recognizing that people came in here for their own issues, their own cares, their own concerns of the world. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you meet us where we are in this hour. We bless you. We thank you for it. Through my Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 22, a very familiar uh, two very familiar verses that we have we've read before. If you've if you've been in church, I mean, this is South Carolina. If you ain't going to church in South Carolina, what are you even doing? You know, this is like Bible Belt heaven, isn't it? We're going to look at Matthew chapter twenty-two, starting at verse thirty-six. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, starting at verse thirty-four. You ready for this? When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, and they're referring to Jesus. When you see he was referring to Jesus, and he had bested the Sadducees who were sad, you see. They gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there is a second set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are the pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets, it hangs from them. Now, I've read these verses. I pastored for 10 years at a church in Atlanta. I've traveled all over the world to preach. I've, I've, I've read these verses. I've preached from these verses. But it was the ending of the second commandment that Jesus gave here that I did not fully understand. And while we talk about freedom this morning, there is no talk of freedom until we talk about love. The Bible says, Jesus says, he, he tells this as another translation that has it, this lawyer who asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, and he says, the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Now, you would think that maybe what Jesus is doing here is he is doing away with the Ten Commandments, but that's not it at all. In fact, he gives two commandments that encapsulates all ten. He says, if you do the first commandment, you'll take care of the first four commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, because if you love God, you won't have an idol. And then he says... The second is like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love your neighbors, you love yourself, you'll take care of the last six commandments. But I would constantly read that, and I never really knew what that meant. Now, I grew up in Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi, just a little ways from here, um, in, a little, in a double-wide trailer out on Country Road. And I went to a little small Baptist church, Newton Missionary Baptist Church growing up. One of those kind of churches where, you know, they had an organ, but you would always hear foot stomping and hand clapping long before you walked in. You couldn't sneak into the church because the, the floors would, would, would creak. I mean, we had, we had the, I don't know if you remember the Sunday school boards up where they would post the total attendance and how much they gave in the offering. And, you know, it was, it was, those were the days. And I really didn't understand too much of what was going on in church, you know. Uh, I just stood up and clapped when the preacher was kind of getting, getting close to his end because I was ready to go home. And I, I had all my Bible stories mixed up. You know, I had Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Literally, I'm like, why are these two men walking around with a billy goat? But it made sense. You know, you go into a furnace, obviously they want curry. You know, it's like, they want curry goat. Like, I don't know. And I'm like, there's somebody else with them. That's, that's, that's genius. God made a chef go inside of the furnace to help them cook the goat, and then they didn't burn up. Like, this is great. I had all of my stuff mixed up. 
I, uh, I, we, uh, my, my family, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia in the year 2000. I went to high school there. And, uh, and then uh, I went to University of Georgia. My last couple years of high school, I had gotten into, I love politics. I love government. I love all those things. And I, I started studying, you know, dictators and, and Mussolini and, and Hitler and all these different things. And, and then I, I started down a very dark path where I started, um, I started getting into Satanism. And then on the campus, University of Georgia, as a freshman, I was walking from class. I see a pamphlet on the ground, and it said, if you want somebody to bring you a Bible, call this 800 number. So I wanted them to come to my dorm room so I can argue with them. They came to my dorm room, and two men showed up, Elder Engler and Elder Argyle. They showed up, and they walked inside, and they started talking to me about Joseph Smith. And in my head, I felt like maybe they were smoking the same mushrooms that this Joseph Smith guy did. But instead, they told me, they said, hey, listen, I want you to come to the Church of Latter-day Saints. It's right down the road. We have free pizza on Mondays. And I thought, I'm coming to get pizza. I'll be there. I go there, and eventually, a couple weeks later, I get baptized as a Mormon. So, yes, this was a Mormon. Just to put it to you plainly, I was a small speck of pepper and a lot of salt. <laughs> it's very interesting. And I had, a, I had a young lady I was dating at the time, and she wanted me to go to her church. And I finally went on a Wednesday night Bible study, and I sat in the back, had my arms crossed. And I didn't listen to anything the preacher had to say. I'm just looking around. I was like, those lights sure do look expensive. Look at this chair I'm sitting in. That preacher's outfit sure does look nice. wonder how much money he used from the church to pay for that. And he gets to the end of it. He's doing the altar call, and he starts talking about Jesus. And I'm sitting there in the chair. I'm sitting next to my girlfriend at the time. And he's like, he's like, there's somebody sitting in here right now. You have a, you have a, you have a dark, you have a, you're, you're living in a dark place. And it's as if his words were captivating me. And he said, I need for you to get up right now. I need you to come down to this altar. I looked at my girlfriend and I said, I'm not going. And I stood up. He said, I want you to come down to this altar. I looked at her. I said, I'm not going. And I started walking. And here she is. She's just crying. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, why are you crying? You should be walking down here with me. Considering what we've done. I mean, <laughs> Am I the only one missing something here? She's like, oh, my God, God is saving you. He should probably be doing it for both of us. <laughs> I go down, I stand in front, and this deacon comes up to me, and he says, son, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And I looked at him, I said, obviously not. That's why I'm standing down here. I was really bad, just horrible. He proceeds to take me upstairs, and he goes over the entire book of John with me, and he shares the gospel with me. And I come to know Jesus Christ. I didn't get saved through theology. I didn't get saved through ideology. I got saved because I had a radical experience with him on my own road to Damascus. But like most new believers, I felt like now that I'm saved, life should be easier. Everything is going to be fine now. I won't run into as many troubles. Now the light is on. I won't have enemies. It's just blessed days ahead. It's going to be good. And then I started living, and then anxiety started to hit me. Depression started to weigh me down. Now I'm pastoring, traveling the world, and I would get up and I'd preach three services in Atlanta and go home and lay in the bed and pray that God doesn't wake me up. I have a beautiful wife, amazing children. I live an amazing life, and I hated everything about myself. I grew up with a sense of self-hatred, 
hating to look at myself in the mirror, hated to, hated to even think that anything good could possibly happen for me, just a lot of self-hatred. So when I read those verses, I would always stop at the place where it says to love thy neighbor. Because I felt like my life was just all about just loving everybody else. But I realized that there was a sense of emptiness. The reason why I couldn't find freedom is because I had no love for me. And then on top of that, to compound that, I would get around pastors who would tell me that self-love is a message of heresy. And I could understand exactly why they, why they would say that. Because if you are only loving yourself and is born out of pride, then now you're operating in the works of Satan. Pride says that every good thing that I have came because of me. And self-love that is born out of your, born out of what you think you can do for you is not, is not, that's not the self-love I'm talking about. I'm talking about a self-love that is born out of a sense of appreciation. A self-love that says, God loves me so much, so how dare I hate me? And if you don't think self-love is a big message we should hear in our day, look how mean our world is. You wonder how somebody could be so mean that now mothers are turning against their children. Fathers turning against their kids. Husbands turning against their wives. And we're wondering, where is the love? Where is the compassion? Where is the empathy? But you can't pour out of an empty cup. Love thy neighbor. How? How can you love the person sitting next to you when you don't even love you. And you may say, oh, I love me. But many of your life practices, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, many of your life practices show that you don't really love you as much as you thought you say you love you. But we have some issues. We're not as healthy as what we think we are. And no, I'm not saying that this is going to be a sermon on perfection, that once you reach a place of healthiness, you're just going to be, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be perfect. I believe that, I believe that health and healing is a journey. But a lot of us, we're coming this place right now, we're so discontent. Discontent with what God has given us because for some reason we feel like we're missing out on something else. And it's easy to be discontent now. I mean, you know, you watch television, you look at social media. It's easy for you to be discontent. You know, back in Mississippi when I was growing up, you know, in Mississippi we get everything last. So back when I was from, you know, the only, only way you could judge yourself is just by the people who are in town. And you look at yourself and you say, well, I know I look better than that guy, so I'm, I must be good. But nowadays, you watch a movie, and you're like, well, I don't think I look as good as that person. And then you try to live up to certain standards. You're living up to certain expectations, but there's a sense of discontentment. You look in your marriage, and now you look at everybody else's, and you're watching those romantic comedies. And you look, and you're saying, I love the way that he brings her flowers. Newsflash, it's a script. I love the way that he talks to her at night. I love the way, I love the way that, you know, she touches on him. I love the way that they just seem like they really love each other. Newsflash, it's all a highlight reel. They have the same kind of problems you have. They go through the same type of things you do, but then discontentment grows inside of us. So now we have a culture that is breeding where we're, we're so quick to let people go. So quick to get the divorce, because I know you're not happy. As if happiness is the, fuel, is, is the, full, is the full accumulation of, of, of true life and fulfillment. I'm not happy anymore. Back where I was from in Mississippi, they would say, you ain't happy, get you a popsicle, sit in the corner and come back when you are. 
because they knew what we don't practice and what we don't preach today, that happiness is a fleeting feeling. You can't base your life on happiness. That's why Jesus never promised us happiness. Joy, but joy and happiness aren't the same. Joy comes from what I know. Happiness is based on how I feel. But in our lives, we have a sense of discontentment. Freedom becomes scary because freedom, it forces us to face the unknown. And if there's anything we can be afraid of, it is the future. I'm afraid of the unknown. I don't know what could happen. If you truly came alive, if you truly became free, what could happen? Maybe people won't like me anymore. If they really knew the real me, maybe they won't like me anymore. Maybe they won't invite me out to the you know, little baseball games. Maybe they won't do this. Maybe they won't do that. If they really knew me. Freedom is scary because it calls for you to accept responsibility. Freedom comes with great responsibility. Look, <laughs> I believe in the freedom of speech. But it's important for you to know that your freedom of speech may get your lights knocked out. You can talk it because you're free to do it. But just know that if you say something wrong, you talk sideways, we're going to fight. That's it. Nuck if you buck. That's it. Because freedom comes with responsibility. And in our world today, we don't want to be responsible for anything. It's just name blame. It's just let's blame this person, let's blame that person, let's blame this person, let's blame, let's blame everybody. But never deal with me. Freedom also requires a very scary thing, and that's vulnerability. There's been vulnerable before God. God, you know, man, I did not mean to cuss that person out when I was driving, but it happened. I meant to throw him one finger, and ah, the other one just came up. <laughs> just vulnerable. A sense of authenticity, which for some reason we don't seem to practice. Just being authentic. I, I, I thought... That the church would be that one place where you can go to and you can just truly just kind of let it all out just to kind of be seen. And have you ever felt, I wrote, I wrote a book called um, uh, Suffering in Silence. And the book, one of the things I talked about is sitting in the multitude of the people and still feeling alone. You ever been in a room full of people and still felt like you still don't know me? I've been serving next to you and you really don't know me? That's a problem when we can't just be authentic with other believers, just authentic. That's just who I am. Take it how it is. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying this is how it is. I'm not saying I always get it right. I'm just saying this is who I am. Now I'm growing. I'm changing. I'm evolving. Things are happening. God's doing some work in me. But right now, this is where I'm at. A sense of authenticity. Lack of authenticity, it creates an environment where we feel we must be perfect to belong. And this false perception keeps people away because they cannot measure up to this unattainable standard. So we either keep striving in exhaustion or pretend as though we have it all together. You know how it is. In the church, we don't really deal with issues. We do the same thing the world does. We just seek to medicate them long enough so that we can get a sense of happiness. We come to church for a shot of faith, only to get into the parking lot and forget everything that was said. Because the heart's intent was never to actually obey it. It was just to at least, yeah, I heard it. God, I checked it off the box. 
I went to church. I'm good. I'm great. Everything's fine. And you go home, and you're still angry, and you're still punching walls, and we're still trying to figure out what's going on. Too many of us are extremely unhealthy. We're religious. We're unhealthy. We don't deal with the traumas. We don't deal with the issues of our past. Instead, what we do is we just kind of pour more Bible on top of it. Just pour more, you know, Christian colloquialisms on top of it. Christian sayings, you know. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored of the Lord. You a lie, Lincoln, your breath stink. You struggling. You had a hard time getting out of bed this morning. You can't be honest about that? Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, preacher. But, 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 but here's the thing. I, I, you know, I got to learn to fake it till I make it. That's your problem. Because you're becoming, you, you are becoming a professional faker. You can't even come in reality and truth. How are you doing? Oh, it's, 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 it's tough right now. And then you say, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but I don't want to complain. How is it complaining that I'm actually telling you the reality? I'm actually answering the question. I'm not as good as what you think I am. But we just kind of throw more, you know, Bible on top of issues, more sayings on top of issues instead of actually dealing with them. Just throw more stuff on top of our discontentment. Not really dealing with root issues because the world today teaches us not to deal with root issues. We just kind of seek out more things that we can do in order to, you know, appease whatever issues we're having right now to make us feel better about ourselves. Like where I live out, 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 out west, you know, weed is, that, you know, hey, get it, smoke it. I mean, you know, loosey booty with it if you want to, I guess. But the thing about it is they'll come to me and they'll say, well, okay, does God want me to smoke weed? And you know how we do with Bible. We want to argue with people. And I was just, I've been doing this long enough. I don't argue with you anymore. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to give you yes or no. You know what I'm going to do? I, I, it's, a to, it's a completely different question I ask them. Why do you want to? Because in our legalistic culture, because we just throw Bible on top of trauma, we want to figure out right and wrong. As if that's going to, as if they're going to cause us to stop. It's not going to cause us to stop. We're still going to do it even if we know it's wrong. If we actually followed laws, people wouldn't get speeding tickets. So instead of arguing over legalism, why do you want to do it? Oh, I do it. I do it, preacher, because I'm anxious. So what you're telling me is that you want to do, you want to use something that is going to be a pseudo form, or just, you know, maybe, maybe help to coat the problem. It doesn't deal with the issue. We're not dealing with the root cause of where the anxiety came from. Because the root cause of where your anxiety came from is probably because you're working at a dead-end job and you're going absolutely crazy because then when you come home, you're not happy and you, you haven't even figured out what's going on. Let's deal with root issues. Let's deal with the childhood trauma. Let's deal with the person who touched you when you were a child. Let's deal with the, let's deal with the person who's hitting you today. Let's deal with root issues. But instead, you got people, you got dead folk in the grave who are still haunting you at night. They've been dead for 10 years. They touched you 20 years ago, and you still allowing for them to run your life. This is why we're unhealthy. Because we don't talk about authenticity, vulnerability. If we truly want to be free, these are the issues that I'm facing. This is, this is how I feel. I'm not saying it's right. 
but I'm saying it's real. We got kids who are as young as eight years old right now who are consuming pornography. Eight years old. As a pastor, I would hear so many stories about the kids. You know, the middle school kids who are having sex during church. And <laughs> it's just like, do we just kind of coat over that? We don't want to talk about it. You know, that's taboo. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about sex. We don't talk about sex with the kids. We don't want when the kids see our kissing. You know, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want the kids to see us kissing. Why? They need to know that it's real. Let them see it in a healthy place. So when they get older, they understand where it's supposed to be. But we, we don't want to talk about it. I'll let the Lord deal with it. People get me, they're like, you know, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but I'm just waiting on the Lord to fix it. Could it possibly be, could it possibly be that maybe the Lord, maybe you aren't waiting on the Lord. Maybe, 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 maybe he's waiting on you to take responsibility for your own life. You know that whole thing the Bible talks about, you know, working out your own salvation. That's why one of the first steps towards freedom is self-awareness. You have to be self-aware. Our world is not self-aware right now. We blame everybody for everything. Why are you the place you at right now? Well, if my daddy would have been, if my mama would have done this, if my this would have done that. You know, when I was younger, I mean, hey, it's free for all. Let's blame our parents. I'm a parent now of three kids. One thing I realized as a parent, I'm trying to raise these kids and I'm still trying to figure out my own life. So now I'm, 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 I'm so graceful towards my parents. Like, thank you for at least keeping me alive. <laughs> like, legit. I mean, thank you. Because sometimes I look at my kids and I'm like, you guys are amazing. But <laughs> we want to blame everybody else. Self-awareness. Just being self-aware. Being self-aware of your own issues. Being self-aware of what's going on in your life. But now we can't even be self-aware because we're so addicted to drama our world today doesn't care anything about truth. We don't want truth. We just want a story. That's why we consume gossip. Because gossip doesn't have to have a truth. It just has to have a story. We come in here and we talk about how we love our brethren. And we go out those doors and we gossip about our, we, we gossip about our brethren. Y'all heard about Pastor Brandon? <laughs> Look, I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing information that was shared with me, but I'm going to tell you what I heard. <laughs> Next time somebody says that, you say, no, I don't, I don't want to hear it. So you think you're better than me? Nope, I don't think I'm better than you. All I'm saying is I don't want to hear what you got to say, and I'm not entitled to listen to what you got to say. It takes two people to converse, and I don't want to talk to you. If you want to talk to somebody about what Pastor Brandon said, talk to the wall. I ain't got time to talk to you. <clears throat> well, they're going to be mad at me. Who cares? That's the other thing right there. A part of self-awareness and, and the point where you get healed is the point you stop caring what other people think about you. I got to that point, you know, I pastored for 10 years, and I, I felt like I had to live in this box, this pastoral box of how everybody wanted me to be. And people come to me after church and say, you know, my old pastor would do this. And for years, I thought I needed to live up to the standards and expectations that they had of their old pastor. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, I, my old pastor used to do this. Well, go back to your old church. I can't believe you talked to me that way. 
I can't believe you came up here and expected me to be him. I'm not him. I will never be him. Well, he sacrificed himself for me. And Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Jesus already died for you. Why should I? <laughs> I love you. I love you enough for you to be grown and for you to be responsible for your own actions. And no, I'm not going to take responsibility for your marriage falling apart just because you didn't meet with me. That wasn't my, you have to deal with you. That's your marriage. I didn't tell you to marry her. You married her. So obviously you saw something when you stood there. Go back and read those vows again that you stood up there crying about. <laughs> I will love you forever and ever no matter what happens in the good times and the bad. And you probably had more bad times than good. But can I tell you something? The commitment still lasts when the feeling stops. But you got to deal with you. You got to deal with you. We have misplaced expectations. And y'all know, there's some expectations that y'all got of Pastor Brandon and his wife and his family, and, you know, Pastor Travis and his family. You got expectations of people from the stage. But, oh, we, we live in a day and age, if they put those same expectations on y'all, it'll be a problem. Pastor Brandon, I expect for you to live this way, this way, this way, this way. And he says, well, I expect for you to live this way. You can't tell me what to do. Okay. Gotcha. We expect for you to give to the community. Yeah, but you don't even give to your own church. You come and eat from a table that you don't even put food in. You don't even put food in the fridge. You say, oh, I get so much from my church, but you put nothing into it. That's unhealthy. You're a taker. And it could be childhood trauma that all you've learned is just to take, 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 take from everybody. And then you get mad when you go to the church. The church says, no, I can't help you out this time. How dare you? You're supposed to be the church. And I'm going to go out on social media and Facebook and talk bad about you. You're a taker. You need to deal with it. There's no way you can seek and get true freedom until you deal with it. We have mental illness on the rise. I've never ran into as many people as I have who are dealing with anxiety, depression. But I get it, man. You shut people up inside of their houses and you take away their freedoms. It's, you, you'll, 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 get, you'll get anxious real quick. People depress, anxious, wonder they're going to lose their jobs. It's all around us. And for some reason, we don't want to deal with root problems. I forget when the pandemic happened in Atlanta, I get so many calls from different married, I mean, married folk. The husbands will call me up. Hey, man, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this. Hey, man, I'm about to get a divorce. Hey, man, I'm about to do this. And I look at my wife and say, what changed? Oh, I know what changed. Y'all actually got stuck in the house together and you had to deal with each other. That's what changed. You spent 10 years not talking to each other and all of a sudden you got to talk to each other because your house ain't that big and now you got to talk to each other. You can't spend all day in the garage because you can't sleep out there. You can't go to the store. You can't go to the mall. You can't go anywhere. You got to stay at home. And then that's when everybody start going to Home Depot and start doing yard work. Y'all know I ain't lying. You did yard work just to get out the house. I got to get a break. You ain't cut that much grass in your life. Talk to her. What's wrong? I don't know. I just can't stand her. Have y'all talked about it? No, she don't want to listen to me. Well, could, you, could you talk to somebody else about it? couple things here. If you want true freedom, you need a strong God connection. 
I'm not talking about some church connection. That's two different things. You can say, well, I go to church. Hey, you can sit in a garage. They'll never make you a car. I'm talking about a strong God connection where you rip off all those excess layers, all that religious crap that you've, you've taken on, all that religious dogma. You strip it all the way down and you say, nope, I, I ain't nothing. I mean, look at, look at the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul, this man knew different languages. He knew the Torah. This man was intelligent. He got radically saved. And then in, 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 in the books that he wrote, he wrote that I count myself as nothing. But for some reason in our culture today, we don't, we don't allow for God to, truly, to, to, to really deconstruct us, to rebuild us. Instead, what we, what we want God to do is we just want to kind of add God on top of who we already are. We just take on, you know, biblical Christian principles and add them to our already messed up lives. <clears throat> but a real relationship with God, it requires nakedness. You also have to realize something very quickly that you are peculiar. You're different. You're different for a reason. Stop caring what people think about you. You're different. You're different. You dress how you dress because that's how you like to dress. That's it. Well, I'm, I'm afraid about what this person thinks about me. Who cares? You're peculiar. You're peculiar. Stop buying into this media war right now of dehumanization. That's all, that's all we got right now, just a lot of dehumanization. And it just causes more division and more hatred amongst people. If I can dehumanize the, if I can, if I can dehumanize the vaccinated, if I can dehumanize the unvaccinated, it makes you easier to hate them no matter what side you fall on. If I can dehumanize the Republican, if I can dehumanize the Democrat, if I can dehumanize the black man, if I can dehumanize the police officer, if I can dehumanize the white man, if I can dehumanize this, it makes us hate them. And now the church is buying into it. If I can dehumanize the life that's growing inside of that woman's womb, then it makes it easier for you to kill it and not think anything else about it. Dehumanization. You need to make sure you're taking proper rest. You can rest up to move towards that place of freedom. If you don't rest, what you're communicating to God is that you don't need him. God wants you to sit down with him sometimes. Just meditate on the word. I mean, I get it. For years, I didn't, I didn't like to sit with myself because I didn't want to deal with me. And I finally had to, I had to break myself of that. I needed time with him. You need better disciplines in your life. I mean, right now in our world, man, we're some of the, some of the just most unhealthiest people. We're addicted to prescription pills. We're addicted to food. Nowadays in our world, man, I see people, they're more concerned about the mask over their face than they are the food they put inside their body. Don't tell me, don't, don't, tell, don't, don't talk to me about health. You want to see health? Shut down the fast food places. Don't hand out Krispy Kreme donuts. But we ain't ready to have that conversation because this has never been about dealing with root issues. But if you want real freedom, God wants to deal with the root of you. He wants to wrestle with you until he changes an identity. He changes something on the inside of you. But you can keep playing this Christian game, doing this each and every week, and just trying to check off a box, and I guarantee you nothing will change. Let me pray over you. God, I pray that you, you enlighten us to our own ways. You make us aware of the, of the ways and the, Areas of our life where we need to make a change. 
God, see us through this place that we are in. No matter the hardship, no matter the trial, no matter the tribulation, allow for us to see the goodness that is in it. God, allow for us to be free people that are needed to rise up in this present age. For the earth is moaning and groaning for the emergence of the sons of God. Free men, free women who will stand and serve no one but you. Let's do it by the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Let's sing to it.